All right, if you've been with us for these last few weeks, you know that we're in a series that we're calling Be the Church or Being the Church. And we started two weeks ago with a sermon by that same name, Being the Church. And today we're, we're preaching another sermon, again, called Being the Church. Okay, that, that's not a typo. The only difference in these two titles is the first time we said Be the Church, capital C, big C. This week we're saying Be the Church or Being the Church, lowercase c, little c, okay? That might not make a world of a difference, but here's what we're getting at. When we started the conversation on what the nature of the church is and what it means for us to be members of the church, we had a big, broad vision in mind. What does it mean to be a part of Jesus' church? Capital letter C, big. We use words like Catholic, and we said that wasn't a denomination for us, but, but rather meaning universal. And so we said it's all believers from all time. So all time, meaning Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Solomon and David and, and on all the way to the apostles and to the, the early saints and the early church down to today. And we said across the globe. So not just restricted to one place, but church, meaning all people, all believers of all time. So believers in China and Iceland and Japan and Argentina and Chile and Canada and Mexico and everywhere. The, the multinational, international, global body that is the church. People from every language and tribe and tongue and nation, all the redeemed of Christ, all whom Christ has purchased through his blood, the people of God, the kahal, the assembly, we said, capital C, big church. This week, what we want to do is say, okay, not just what does it mean to be a part of church, capital C, but how that big church is always expressed through local expressions of the body of Christ, church little c, little gatherings of the universal body of Christ. So churches with local people gathered in a specific time, in a specific place, with a specific people gathered that express this universal reality, right? So you've got big church universal reality expressed through thousands, tens of thousands, millions of local expressions of the church, little c. And what we want to do today is talk through what it means to be the church, little c, and what the local church has in terms of the scriptures. What, what does the scripture say about gatherings like the one here? Does, does Seven Mile Road, in all its little c churchness, have something in the scriptures? Did the scriptures have a small gathering like this one in view when it speaks about the church? And so today we're talking through what does it mean to be in the local church? What does it mean to be a member, membership in the local church? All right, when you talk through something like that, depending on the background that you have, you come to the conversation a few different ways. Right? For some of us, this could be approached with a bit of skepticism. So, for example, yesterday we had a guy come in, good, honest guy, who came in just to refill our fire extinguishers, make sure they were up to code. And in just a few minutes, we got into this conversation about religion, and in very colorful but honest language, he told me what he thought of religion and religious people, and he basically told me that religion is just a construct that human beings have made so that people in power can control other people. So we need to control people, rule over people, tell them what to do, and so we've invented religion, and religious leaders have invented things like churches. So I get that if you've got a pastor in the front of the church saying, you ought to be a part of a local church, members of a local church, 
I get that how that can sound. It can sound like a guy who's just looking to control more people, add more numbers, get more money, or a hundred other things. So I've got some work cut out for me in trying to convince you that this wasn't a Jay's idea so that we could grow Seven Mile Road and I could drive a better car, but rather uh, rooted in the wisdom of God and in Scripture. But even if you're a Christian, I want you to hear that you come to the conversation maybe with some hesitancy as well and maybe with some skepticism as well. After all, what does membership in a local church have to do with you being a Christian or your faith in Jesus, right? If we're honest, many of our experiences have not had membership in a particular local church to be a big deal in our lives, at least not in our adult lives. Maybe for the first 18 years, mom and dad dragged you to one particular church, but when you got out on your own, being rooted to one particular people, committed to one particular place for an extended period of time, maybe was never a big part of your story, right? Many of us have treated the local church like we treat local bars, and so we hop from place to place, sampling what we'd like, depending on the day, depending on what mood we're in. In fact, the phenomenon has grown so much that they've termed the thing church hopping, right? And it's become a sport among evangelical Christians. We hop churches, right? We do that all the time. I remember reading this book called Stop Dating the Church by Joshua Harris, a good book that I'd recommend to you. And he told the story of a good friend of his who, who came into this dilemma and one that likely many of you, if you're Christian, have faced. He went to one church and they had music and worship that he loved, but they, he didn't enjoy the preaching so much. But there was another church with preaching and teaching that he loved. And so you're caught in this dilemma. What do you do? And it ended up being no problem at all, because what he would do was go to the morning service and attend worship there, and as the last song was done, sneak out the back of the church, hop in his car, and drive to the other church and be there just in time for the next sermon. Josh Harris says he had perfected this down to a science so that he even figured out the timing so that he could stop at McDonald's, grab an Egg McMuffin on the way, and still be there just in time for the pastor to climb into the pulpit. Right? And maybe, honestly, if you're honest, you're sitting there going, that, that seems like the best of the both worlds rather than a problem of any kind. I had a guy who came to Seven Mile Road one week. I don't remember his name or his face, but I remember he looked at me with a straight face and said, what I do on Sunday mornings is I get up and I pray and I ask God where I should go to church that week and wherever the Spirit leads, that's where I go to church. Interestingly enough, the Spirit has never led him back to Seven Mile Road Church, right? So I don't know if the Spirit has something against us, but, but the Spirit never told him to take a ride on Welsh or go to Darlington and, and come here, right? It's amazing how we can take our thoughts, baptize them with some religious jargon, and make them sound really spiritual, so that it now actually sounds super spiritual to say, I'm just following the lead of the Lord on where I'm going to go to church any particular week. And here's the thing. I am not ripping the guy because I have been there. And maybe some of you have been there, right? Maybe some of you would have an entire display case with free stuff you've gotten as visitors to churches. Some of you could wallpaper an entire room with church bulletins you've collected from different churches along the way, right? 
Some of us have gone to a church, depending on who's preaching, or skipped church that day if our favorite preacher wasn't going to be there, as though that Sunday was sort of junior church. We'll go check out another church that day, right? We've, we've all probably been there. I know in my life, I never saw the connection between being a part of a particular local church and my faith in Christ as how, how they were connected at all. Because it seemed to me that me and Jesus was an entirely different conversation than me and a church, any particular local church. I remember meeting a guy who blogged week after week on the different services that he would attend. In fact, every Sunday would go to a different church and rate the church experience so that it was somehow a service to people, right? It's, it's nonsense, but we confuse ourselves or deceive ourselves into thinking that it's somehow hyper or super spiritual. So, so we've been there, right? We've all been there. Likely, you're either on the outside looking in, and, and maybe you're interested in Jesus and Christianity, and why on earth would anyone spend some time talking about the local church? Or if you're a Christian, some of this can sound harsh. Why on earth would you pound us on being committed to a particular church? What I want to do is show you some biblical evidence for why this is not my idea, but God's idea, and a good one, a good one for your soul. Why this is the norm in the New Testament, and why everything else is sort of abnormal in New Testament Christianity. I want to read you one verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Just hear this one place. We're going to jump for a few places in the scriptures, but hear this. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. Hear that again. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And he's speaking to one local church. Paul is writing to Corinth, and he's writing to the Christians assembled at Corinth, saying, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of the body of Christ here. Okay, let me pray, and then we'll ask the Lord to give us some wisdom about a biblical rationale for church membership. Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for these men and women that you've gathered here. We come to you humbly, not arrogantly. We come not trying to take our experience and have your word bend to it, but rather have your word above us that our experiences might bend to it. We pray that we would humbly reorient our thinking and our opinions and our experiences under the weight of your word. If we've been wrong to know that you are a good and generous God who receives us and will welcome confession, and where we've been right, that you would encourage us and strengthen us and we would pattern our lives after your word. I pray that this would be for the good of your people as we consider where it is that we relate to your church and even to a particular local expression of it. I pray that you would bless our time in your word, that you would open our ears and eyes and hearts to it, and that we would be transformed, and we would leave here obeying. This is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. As we said before, we want to just say right off the bat, some of us would say, okay, church membership might be a good idea, but don't press it any further as to say that it's a biblically mandated one or a command in the scriptures. It might be good for you, but, but don't press it any further and say that it's somehow connected to your Christianity. After all, and a good question you would ask would be, what does my church membership have to do with me being a Christian or me being saved? I'm certainly not saved by being a member of a local church. And I want you to hear this. 
That is absolutely correct. You are not saved. You are not made a Christian. You are not made right with God because you've committed to a particular local church. I want you to hear that very clearly. The gospel says we've been saved only because of what Jesus has done for us and not what we do for Jesus. So it's not baptism, it's not communion, it's not membership in a local church or any other number of things that you will do that makes you right with God. Ephesians says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. You've got nothing on the resume to show God as to why you are a Christian or why you got saved or why you should be let in other than Jesus' grace extended to you, your faith in him, that's it. Right? The guy that I met yesterday that I had the conversation with, he told me that when he thinks of religion, what he's been told is if you're good here, you will go there, and if you're not good here, you will go there. And I told him, I get why we would think that, but the, the Christian worldview is we have all not been good here. We all deserve to go here. And so the good one came from here to here to live the life we were supposed to live so that rather than going here, we would go there. I didn't do all those hand motions, but, <laughs> but you get the idea, right? A good God came to earth, died in our place for our sins. We repented, put our trust in him. We were saved. And that has nothing to do with anything you add on top. Now, having said that, though you are not saved by church membership, your salvation makes church membership a necessary consequence to being saved, right? None of us are saved by baptism, but it would be very poor theology and a very poor understanding of the scriptures to say, therefore, it's optional. No, it's a necessary consequence to salvation that we want to obey all of God's commandments is a right requirement on us. So church membership is not what gets you saved, but it is a necessary consequence to being saved, right? It's a necessary consequence. It should flow out of that. In fact, I want you to hear this. The New Testament does not have a single Christian in the story that is not a part of a local church. Think through that. Other than the thief on the cross who becomes a Christian and dies in the very next moments and doesn't get baptized and doesn't join a church and doesn't go to a Bible study and doesn't do anything because he dies, everyone else in the New Testament who becomes a Christian is immediately grafted into Big Church, capital C, and finds an expression for that membership through membership in a little church, lowercase c. I mean, just consider the fact that the word church is used in the New Testament some 110 times, and about 93 of those speak to a local church. Think of that. About 93 uses out of 110 speak to gatherings like the one here as opposed to just speaking about the universal church of God. It's speaking to particular people in specific gatherings, in specific places and times. I mean, even last week we preached on some metaphors that the scriptures use to describe the church. Metaphors like body and building and brothers. I need you to hear that all of those metaphors were spoken to local churches. So Paul's writing to the saints at Corinth or Galatia or Ephesus and saying, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the building and you are living stones on top of one another. The scriptures have a great deal to say about the local church. So what I want to do is just walk you through just a few biblical rationales, evidence, however you want to say it, for church membership. That this was in view even as back... 
far back as the scriptures, as far back as when Christianity began. And I want you to consider what would be lost or what would be diminished if you didn't have church membership, right? What would be lost, what would be diminished if you didn't have church membership? One, consider the one another commands in scripture. In the Bible, in the New Testament, you've got about 58 different places where it says these one another commands. Things like love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, be devoted to one another. And as you read through the breadth of all these different commands, what becomes strikingly, glaringly obvious is that if you are going to obey these commands, it requires the local church. That if you're going to really obey the heart of these commands, it requires a committed, sustained relationship with a group of people like the local church. What the scriptures call you through all these one another commands is this life that is integrally connected with other people in sustained, committed, long-term relationships, so much so that it describes it as being devoted to one another, right? The scriptures have in view that you are going to live such tightly related lives with other people, with other Christians, that it would be rightly described as being devoted to one another, that there's going to be such a regularity and passion to what you do towards one another that it's going to be like devotion. All these commands are in the present tense continuous, meaning you don't just do them once, but they're to mark your life. They're supposed to be the pattern of your life, that you do them all the time. And to do them all the time will require that you be in sustained, deep, connected relationships with people. Because apart from that, you won't be able to obey these commands. Right? If, if I can describe myself as devoted to Shainu, it's because I relate to her in a way that I do not relate to any other woman. And she's devoted to me in that she relates to me in a way that she's not relating to any other man. We have a commitment. And that's at the heart of many of these commands that Jesus will give us. Just think through some of them. Hebrews 3 verse 13 will say, encourage one another daily. Okay, how do you do that if you are not in long-term, sustained, committed relationships with one another? You will either walk around randomly offering generic encouragements to every Christian you meet, or you will have been given the opportunity to watch someone's life and say, brother, I've been seeing where you were, and I see where you are, and I want to encourage you that God is doing something in your life. Or sister, I've been seeing the way that you've been serving, and I think God has really given you a gift for this, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Apart from committed relationships to one another in the local church, how do you encourage one another biblically daily? Or James 5 will say, confess your sins to one another. All right, how do you obey that command? Either you're going to go from church to church to church, find a Christian and say, I know we've only met each other for about three minutes, but I need to confess my sins to you. And how good are you doing at obeying that command? None of us would do that. But what does happen is you come into a committed relationship with a group of people, sort of like what we have at Soul Care, small communities who are loving one another, committed to one another, and we're trying to multiply them so that more of you can be a part of it. But the idea is here, in this committed relationship, I can say to these brothers who are committed to me, I need to confess my sin to you, as James 5 says. 
Galatians 6 will say, Brothers, if any of you are caught up in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them. How do you do that? Do you go from place to place just finding random people and saying, Listen, I've noticed you've been doing that, and I want to point this out in your life. Or are you walking with some people and saying, Listen, I see that you're starting to go off track, and we need to bring you back. We need to restore you. And we could go on and on. There's, there's literally lots of these commandments, dozens of them, and all of them will require sustained, committed relationships, right? The, the local church in the New Testament is the place where you get to exercise your gifts, right? You get to do that to a particular people in a particular place so that it's not a Jay is trying to find 52 different churches to preach at at 52 different weeks, but rather using whatever God has given me to serve a people that I am committed to, right? If, if the scriptures say serve, you will either try serving everywhere and efficiently serve nowhere, or you will serve somewhere, right? The, the way you serve all people is by actually serving some people. And, and there's great wisdom to why God gives you this because it helps with the, the who and the why questions, practical things like where am I going to serve? Who am I going to serve? When am I going to serve? Well, you've got a commitment to a people that helps answer those questions about where am I committed? Where am I pouring my life into? And this is not in any way exclusivist so that we don't do it for anyone else. We're just tunnel vision to our local church. No. It's for all people, but you serve all people, you pray for all people, you love all people by actually loving some people, right? You love the church by actually loving a church, right? This is why some people will say, if you've ever been to one of those Christian conferences, right, you've got hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people for three or four days, you go there, the singing's amazing, the preaching is wonderful, you're just amazed, everyone's friendly, and you go, I wish we could just stay here forever. That's nonsense. You know why? Because after six months, you would be so tired of them. The reason it's so appealing is because when you love in a place like that, it's not love. Everyone's perfect for three days. But Jesus gives you these commandments in the life of a local church so you might actually learn what it looks like to love. Love past the honeymoon phase when things get difficult and hard, right? Love when it's committed. Forgive people that rub you the wrong way. All of that gets to take place in the life of a local church. What these commandments call you to are not casual, superficial relationships everywhere, but deep, committed relationships somewhere. Hear that again. What the commandments are going to call you to do is not casual, superficial relationships everywhere, but some narrow, deep relationships somewhere. And I need you to hear this. I am not telling you that that somewhere has to be here. I'm just telling you that that somewhere has to be somewhere. That you have to find a place. That you have to find a, a family that you're committed to, a body that you belong to, a building that you're being built into, that you need the local church. And through the local church, Jesus gives us a place where we can live as God had called us to live. I'll give you another one. Not only is it these commands in Scripture, but it's also the description of the early church in the Scriptures. Another biblical rationale, biblical evidence for the idea of church membership is just the description of the early church in the Scriptures. 
Okay, so now we're in the book of Acts. Picture yourself there. In Acts, what's happened is Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins, went to the grave, risen again, has ascended into heaven. He is no longer physically on the earth, has promised that his spirit would come now to the earth and dwell in all believers. Acts 2, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, fills the believers, and the church is born. Many come to faith in Jesus that day, some 3,000. And when it speaks of their conversion, of them becoming Christians, the language that's used is, and they were added to the numbers, the numbers of the church. Hear that again. The way that Acts describes the conversion of Christians is by speaking of their addition to the church. That in the mind of Acts, the way to speak about these people became Christians is to say these people were added to the local church. Right? The way that Acts sees the faith that has just come upon these people is to say they have now been added to the numbers. They've been counted to the believers. They've been added to the church. So that again, in the New Testament, there are no Christians that are disconnected from a local church. In fact, in Acts 5, you have this story of this man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. It's the story with two Christians who lie to the apostles and lie to God, and God judges them for their lie. In fact, he knocks them dead. And that, that news brings such fear upon everyone around them that non-Christians, it says, did not join the church, but esteemed them greatly. And, and here's what happens. That word join is the same word that's going to be used in other passages, like 1 Corinthians, to speak of sexual intimacy. It's going to be the same word that's used in another passage to speak about joining to the Lord. So get that language. The language that's used to speak about joining a church is the same word and language that's used to speak about sexual intimacy and joining with the Lord. So the highest order of relationships and commitment is the same word that's in view even when speaking about these men and women joining a local church. Right? It's no small thing. They have been grafted into Christ's body, and that grafting necessarily is expressed through commitment to a local church. And you find this all throughout the New Testament, that constantly there's this sense in which the early church knows who's in and who's not. So much so that even priority is given to those who are in as opposed to those who are not. Right? So Galatians will say, Paul will say to the church at Galatia, do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. So he'll, or in 1 Timothy 2, or in 5, he'll say, feed the widows and care for the widows, especially those who are on these roles. Right? And again, it's not that the church is taking on this exclusivist mentality and saying, we're going to forsake everyone else and just care for ourselves. But what the New Testament is saying is you have a priority to the people who have been committed here, to whom God has brought and gathered and assembled here. It's not that we don't care for others, but that we have a unique responsibility to those who lock arms here. It'd be like if you saw me feeding the homeless in Philadelphia while Hannah is home starving to death, you would say there's a problem there, right? And it's not that it's wrong for me to feed others, but I cannot neglect the one that I am in a unique responsibility for. And so in the New Testament, when it comes to caring for people, financial care, counseling, whatever it may be, there's a sense in which those who are in are given priority because they've committed and we now bear a unique 
responsibility for them. Do good to everyone, particularly to those who are of the household of faith. Right? We're to do good to all, but you do good to all by doing good to someone somewhere. And this is good and humbling because what it helps you realize is you can't be Jesus. You can't do good everywhere, but you can do good somewhere. And if local churches are doing good somewhere, then we can reach everywhere, right? If real-life church down in the city and Epiphany in North Philly and Liberty in South Philly, if they do their thing and we do ours in Northeast Philadelphia together, the body of Christ does good everywhere in the city, right? And that's the heart of the New Testament. So ask yourself, have you been a part of a local church? And where might God be calling you to be a part of that? I'm not saying that there will never be reasons for you to leave a church. Hear that. There may be. I just am saying that it has to be weighty for you and that it can't be as easy a decision as where are you going to go out to eat tonight. Right? These are committed relationships that are weighty to you. And are you bearing the burden of this place with your brothers and sisters? This one man named Donald Whitney, he writes how church hopping is sort of like being a hitchhiker. That when you're a hitchhiker, you don't have to worry about the cost of the car. And you don't have to worry about the cost of repairs and maintenance, or the cost of gas, or the cost of insurance in case of accident. All you do is you hop on for a ride, and then you hop on for another ride, and you keep going till you get to where you want to be. And he said, it, it will be harsh, but, but is your relationship to a local church that same way? Are you bearing the cost of this place? And that's not just financially, but are you locked in or are you hopping? And in hopping, being of little use anywhere, right? Here's what I would ask. What if every Christian acted that way? The only reason that some of us can hop is because others don't. The only reason we can hop is because others don't. Others are committed and because of that give us the luxury to hop from place to place. What if every Christian acted that way? And thankfully they don't. Thankfully people commit. And, and what I'm calling you, not rebuking you, but calling you to, is God has good reasons for you to do that. It, it's not a, a finger in your face. It's inviting you into something deeper so that you're not just sampling appetizers all the time, but you're sitting with a full meal with the people of God. I'll give you another one. In the scriptures, you not only have how the early church is described, you not only have these one another commands, in the scriptures you also have the relationship between a pastor and his people. The relationship between a pastor and his people, and that commandment cannot be fulfilled apart from membership in a local church. You can't do it. Here's what I mean. Listen to Hebrews 3, verse 7 and 17. Verse 7 says this, Remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Here verse 17 again, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And what I want to contend is you cannot obey these scriptures that Jesus is calling you to obey apart from membership in a local church. 
What, the, what this text is saying is that every Christian is to watch the life of their leaders who teach them God's word, who, their pastor or pastors, and they're to imitate their life. So let me ask you, how do you do that apart from being in a local church? Are you imitating every pastor everywhere? Or are you imitating some pastor somewhere? Right? Or the text will say, obey your leaders and submit to them as those who will have to give an account. So let me ask you, are you obeying all pastors everywhere? Or do you obey some pastor or pastors somewhere? Right? How do you fulfill these commands apart from membership in a local church? And the text will even assume your leaders. So, so that's a good question. Do you have leaders? If I asked you who are your leaders, would you have a name or names to say? And if you don't, there's a problem. If John Piper, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, Tim Keller are all your leaders, you've got a problem. If you can just name every famous Christian or from church to church to church, that means you're obeying no leader and submitting nowhere. To obey these commands call you to church membership, right? Are you making all pastors everywhere their work a joy? Or could some pastor somewhere look at you and say, your work here, your participation here, your faith here has made my work a joy? And it's not just the relationship between Christians and their pastor, but even pastor and Christians and their flock. So to the pastor, this same text will say, you are going to give an account for the souls that God has entrusted to you. Right? Hebrews 3 says, Obey your leaders, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So consider the weighty call even on a pastor. What Jesus is saying to me is that there is going to be a day where I stand before God, and we're going to preach a whole sermon on, on this whole thing. But, but briefly, what I want you to hear is there's going to be a day coming for me where I will not only give an account for my soul, but I will give an account for the souls that God had entrusted to my care. But how do you do that without church membership, without knowing who's under my care? Who has God entrusted to me? Is every pastor responsible for every Christian? Or are they responsible for some Christians that God has entrusted to their care? Right? I certainly do not want to be responsible for all of Philadelphia or Pennsylvania or the rest of the world. I barely want to be responsible for you, right? That's a, I'm kidding. Um, but God has entrusted to every local pastor souls in his care. And how will he know who the boundaries of those souls are? So that when Jesus asks, we know who it is that God has entrusted to the care of elders or elders elders plural or pastor or pastors plural first peter 5 will say a pastor is to shepherd and equip the flock so is he entrusted with this responsibility to shepherd and equip all people everywhere or some people somewhere you get the idea these commands require biblical church membership i'll give you one last one the scriptures also speak of the potential of excommunication here's what that means in the scriptures, you have the practice of the early church, you have the one another commands, you have the relationship between pastor and people, and you've got this teaching about excommunication. In 1 Corinthians 5, you have this passage where Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and there's some guy who's sleeping with his, mother, his father's wife, 
and we don't know if that's a stepmom or, or something, but it's just this horrible situation. Paul even says, even the Gentiles are not practicing this. And then he'll go on to say, how is it that you're tolerating that? This guy is saying he's a Christian and living in a way that, that discredits the gospel and Jesus' name. And then he says, what I need you to do the next time you gather is remove him from fellowship. That when he comes with you, you can no longer let this unrepentant sin go. You have to discipline him. Again, a, a sermon that we'll preach on that in the coming weeks. But you have to remove him. You have to excommunicate him from fellowship so that the world will not think that's what it means to be a Christian. You need to let him know that if he continues in his sin without repentance, he cannot be counted among Jesus' church. He's denied the faith through his life. So here's, here's the thing. How is excommunication even possible if you're not in fellowship to be removed from fellowship? How is the potential for being excommunicated, how does that even exist if you are not a member of a church somewhere? And this is not a threat, but it's a good discipline for our soul. That we recognize that we are such sinners that we long for a church to be involved with our soul and correct us if we go astray and even practice church discipline should we be in unrepentant sin. 1 Timothy 2, Paul will name two men. He'll say, Alexander and Hymenaeus, they've shipwrecked their faith and I've handed them over to Satan. Again, we'll talk about what church discipline is, but how is Paul going to kick them out if they were never in? We need church membership so that we can be involved in disciplining one another. Yesterday at Theology Track, our men got together and one of our brothers prayed a very strong prayer for our men. He prayed, God, would you give us the courage to rebuke one another and even would you bring rebuke to us for our sin? That's a very godly prayer, one we would never pray. Who prays, would you rebuke me? Would you send others to rebuke me? Unless you get the weight of your own sin and your tendency to sin and you're pleading with God, would you put people in place so that I could not shipwreck my faith? So that I wouldn't end up like Alexander and Hymenaeus? Would you put people in place to discipline me should I run in sin? And that's one of the benefits of church membership is that you have people committed to making sure that you don't walk astray. We could say more. We could say plenty more. Here's what I want you to hear. The New Testament practice, the New Testament norm, is that you would be a member of Jesus' body and that would find an expression by being a part of somebody, right? That you would be a part of Jesus' church and that would be expressed by being a part of a church, by committing, by locking arms, being committed for however the long the Lord would have you be there. So that's Heaven My Road, we're a baby church. And in this coming season and year or year and a half, we're hopefully moving towards church membership, right? We're a baby church, a mission church just getting started, but one of the baby steps of maturing that we want to do is we want to head towards church membership. For now, we have something called core group, which are just some of the people who have said, I'm committed, this is my church, I'm locked in. But hopefully that's a baby step towards where we want to go, which is church membership. And my hope for you is that when that time comes, your soul is ready and longing to say, I'm in. Count me in too. I am not living on the outside. I want deep in somewhere. And maybe this is that place for you. And if it's not, find somewhere that is. But commit and commit deeply to where the gospel is being preached and be a member of the local church. Jesus Christ died 
so that you might be grafted into his body and grafted into a local church. Right? Think of that. That's no small thing. Christ's death on the cross has purchased you membership into a local body where your soul can be cared for, where you can love one another and obey those commands, where you could have pastors watching over your soul and love and imitate these pastors, where you can discipline one another and make sure that we're walking straight. All these things are blood-bought gifts given to you. They're not obligations. They're privileges extended to you, and you could be a part of it. So commit somewhere. Right? And, and hopefully, if all this is true, what you're asking is, okay, I'm ready, I'm in. What does it mean to be a member? What, what would it mean for me to be a member? And that's what the rest of the series is about. All right, let's pray.